This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Renee Hornbaker, CFO of Stream Energy, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode number 265. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Ray Shapak, CFO of iManage, a newly independent standalone firm that was recently divested by HP. Ultimately, you know, there's about 20 of us that, that really worked nights, weekends, et cetera, to be able to position the organization for the divestiture out of HP. So, you know, great level of experience of kind of working through this. You know, it's, it's, it's a unique um, type of transaction. And so ultimately I came on again as in March um, and then the deal, we, the initial part of the deal closed with HP in June. And then we had another period of time to kind of get all of the financing in place. And most of that was generally done, but, and then we officially closed on, on July 21st. And as you think about complexities of being able to stand up an organization to be able to support 3,000 clients on day one um, was uh, just an an extraordinary kind of experience. Listen to our complete interview with Ray after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth? while reducing risk. Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Ray Shapak, CFO of iManage, a workflow management software company. Ray, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, you've uh, had a few uh, tours of duty as a CFO, so we look forward to uh, exploring some of those experiences with you. But first, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, those uh, career experiences that you feel helped prepare you uh, for a finance leadership role. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm originally from the, the Washington, D.C. area, and, and as I would say, I spent a number of kind of finance tours of duty in a number of the major business centers. So, um, spent about five years in New York City um, and then found myself migrating to the West Coast and the Bay Area for about six years. And then I've been in uh, Chicago for about 15 at this point. And, you know, in each of those, I've worked for public and private, all on the technology finance side of things, helped everybody from, you know, one of the organizations go public to ultimately doing acquisition finance as well, too. Um, so, you know, as I think about my career, it's about the mosaic, right? And each different opportunity kind of adds another bit of experience into what I can offer. Now, iManage has kind of uh, uh, 
has a, an interesting story uh, of which it was uh, divested from HP in the not too distant past. And I imagine was that uh, the chapter where you joined? Did you come aboard after they divested? Yeah, so I actually came on board in in March. So I, you know, it was, it was interesting. There was a number of us that really came on as part of this transition team, right? And it was really a kind of an unofficial official. Uh, role where ultimately, you know, there's about 20 of us that, that really worked nights, weekends, et cetera, to be able to position the organization for the divestiture out of HP. So, you know, great level of experience of kind of working through this, you know, it's, it's just a unique um, type of transaction. And so ultimately I came on again, as in March, um, and then the deal, we, the initial part of the deal closed with HP in June, and then we had another period of time to kind of get all of the financing in place. And most of that was generally done, but and then we officially closed on on July 21st. And as you think about, you know, we did not have kind of an entity, right? So it wasn't as though we had a business and we were buying another piece of the business. And as you think about the complexities of being able to stand up an organization to be able to support 3,000 clients on day one um, was a, a fair amount of coordination and effort. But I think it's, you know, one of the, one of the uh, hardest periods of my life of working because I had a day job and then ultimately this was my night and weekend job. Um, but just a, an, an extraordinary kind of experience with a, with a wonderful group of hardworking kind of dedicated individuals. So, yeah, just to understand a little better, when you uh, arrived there, was there a what was the finance team and and what was missing, really? There were some key roles, I imagine, you needed to fill. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So what what happened was, you know, from HP, there was a number of individuals that were kind of uh, kind of in scope. Right. So these are the individuals that were individuals that were identified that would ultimately come over to the new I manage. Um, for my team in particular, we had about um, seven or eight individuals that were on, I would say, the receivables and the renewal side of the house, right? And those were, um, you know, a very important part of the team to make sure on day one you can invoice those, you know, all the clients. Um, and then they were all based out of our Sunnyvale office. Um, and then we are headquartered in Chicago currently. And so, one of my kind of key objectives, obviously, was to build out the rest of the team. Um, and so ultimately in, um, in Chicago, we've now, you know, under, um, on my team, we've got a controller, we've got a financial planning analysis person or treasury person and kind of the accounts payable function as well. And then we also have an in-house attorney um, that kind of all rolls up. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, that was really, the, you know, one of the really important pieces to, to kind of what we had to get done. Um, you know, the other one is, again, being able to stand up that organization from an accounting, finance, and an IT perspective as well, too. And then a big part of my responsibilities, you know, we had, because it was a management buyout, um, and most of the equity was from the management team and a couple of outside um, non-institutional shareholders, um, it was really working with the bank to be able to get the credit documents in place. So. Um, as you can imagine, you know, that's that's a fair amount of negotiation effort to get that where that needs to be to be able to fund the other part of the buyout. 
You know, I want to just segue back here to uh, to your decision to join iManage. And it's clear that you had a lot of the experiences that one would think would be needed to to do what's been accomplished there in the short amount of time. But I'm, I'm wondering, I think a lot of finance leaders would have said, wow, this one, this is interesting, but this is there's a lot of heavy lifting here, meaning that some of the transactions you've done building the finance team out, everything that needed to be done, some of it from the ground up for a rather, you know, a global organization today. Some might have said thanks, but no thanks. What is it that led you to say, okay, this this is something I, you know, I'd like to like to sink my teeth into? What is it exactly that was yeah, there? Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, right or wrong, I've you know, I I, I tend to um, I like the challenge, you know, and I think when I first met Neil, the CEO, and and I, you know, he's just um, a down to earth, good person, and, and I think the story just 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 resonated, you know. I think I. At the time, I was actually in a, in a prior CFO role, and we were in the process of basically selling the business. And, and I think that, um, you know, so on one hand, I was working during the day on selling the business and then nights and weekends working on buying a business. And I, and I think that um, these types of transactions just don't occur every day. I mean, when you hear the words leverage buyout or management buyout, you know, I think it's... Um, those are just exciting, exciting words. And, and I think, you know, t- to some extent, even as, as Neil said, you know, when I kind of accepted the role, he said, well, you know, once this is done, you may be mad at me for uh, pulling you into this. But, you know, there were some very difficult nights and, and, and weekends, but I think it, um, you know, I think it is, you know, to, to be able to step up to the challenge and, you know, even today to be able to look back and say, you know, what we were able to do without, a, you know, as I would say, you know, the transition services agreement from HP to be able to handle all of the kind of administrative HR finance functions. And we took that on day one. You know, you don't get to do that every day. And and I think, you know, you know, in my mind, it was, you know, we took a day and we kind of celebrated. Um, and then it says, OK, what do we need to do going forward? Um, and so there's still a lot that we have to get done. Um but I think that, um, you know, just overall a, a great, great opportunity. And I, I personally never say no to a challenge. Right. So uh, with a number of the uh, sizable transitions behind you, uh, looking forward now and you've gotten you've made these key hires. What is the uh, you know, what is the next task at hand for the finance team? What uh, it sounds like you got the house in order. Now it's execution. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's one of those two where, you know, we when we think back to, you know, pre-July and setting up these processes and systems. And and I think, you know, we did not necessarily have the luxury of um, going and doing an RFP with a different, you know, number of different kind of accounting service providers and, and other kind of systems that you need to be able to, you know, deal with the workflow of the business. Right. And I think, um, you know, and along the way we, you know, I personally probably made some, 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 some bad decisions. None of those were too bad that ultimately you can go back and correct those. Right. So I think a lot of, you know, we had actually decided to initially outsource um, some of our accounting function, some of the day-to-day accounting function to, a BPO business process outsourcing firm out of, out of India. Um, 
And I think ultimately we realized that there's certain tasks that they would be very good at, but other pieces that we ultimately brought in how. So, so you're right, Jack, there's, there's, as I talk about it, we've been kind of going through this optimization phase, right? So we got the, we stood the organization up. Um, and, and again, from the finance side is really kind of optimizing what that workflow is. You know, I think that there's still a lot of things that we can do that are kind of, in my mind, very important as we look at 2017, um, you know, just the whole kind of order ordering process around how um, our internal sales folks, as well as our partner channels can facilitate kind of the new, new orders of our software. Right. And, and I think we have, you know, we're unique in the sense that, um, you know, we have a fairly significant um, channel community kind of throughout the, throughout the globe. And, you know, we've, we've, I think, you know, last year we ultimately had clients in over 50 different, different countries. And, and again, I think we've been able to, um, it's worked out well where we've been able to kind of pick where we want to have people on the ground and where we don't want to have people on the ground. And we're using a very robust channel community, which has been great. Um, but again, I think to your point, there's, you know, there's going to continue to be some other things, as I said, on kind of the workflow from a finance perspective. And again, I, I think, you know, under HP, um, you know, HP had not done enough investment back in the product, right? And so over the last 15 months, that has been our core focus, right, is invest, invest, invest. Um, and so that's where we've been spending kind of that marginal resource, right, on, on the R&D side of things. Um, and, and for, you know, next year as well, I think it's, you know, are there other kind of inorganic opportunities that we can kind of look at as well, too, to kind of, you know, scale the business, not just organically, but inorganically. All right. So what, what would be those uh, key metrics that you're going to be paying close attention to as you look to grow the company? What's what's the nature of this business in terms yeah. of the metrics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the big piece that I look at, you know, every every morning is, is what is our bookings, right? And as we think about, um, you know, now, what does that look like? And in, in a cloud world, right, it's, it's ACV or annual contract value. And so, you know, that's something that I'm, you know, very, very key to look at um, that just gives you a measure of the, of the business. Um, you know, I think the other, you know, as I'd indicated, we have about 3,000 clients globally, right? And, and if you think about the legal sector, right, I mean, they've been kind of the custodians or stewards of, not just their own information, but information for their clients. And, and I think where we're at now in the, in the business is that I think historically there has been a lower kind of adoption rate on cloud. And, and now that, um, that turning point has occurred, right? And so we are, we are growing um, um, significantly on the, on the cloud side of the business. So again, it's, 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 and it's also a metric of our existing on-premise clients that ultimately wish to convert to cloud. Um, and again, I think that's a real kind of important metric or measure of the business going, going forward. Um, and so, you know, I think the other, other pieces as well too, of, you know, what are the renewal rates of the business, right? To say um, you've got a client and, and, and ultimately, you know, what percentage of those clients are, are, electing not to renew the services. And that's a very, very low percentage today. But again, we want that, you know, that's a, that's a critical piece of the business to make sure that our, ha our clients are, are happy and want to stay with us. But I, you know, and I think it's one of those where when we divested out of HP, 
there was a bit of that unknown, right? Would the market perceive this as a good thing or not? And, and, uh, the, the, the feedback from clients has been overwhelming, right? It's, as I had indicated, the team's back together. Um, you know, when I think about a number of the key principles, say, say Neil Raja, who's an engineer by training. And again, it's, it's where do we put that marginal dollar from an investment perspective? Um, and then I think other, other metrics too of, you know, receivables and obviously cash, um, you know, are kind of your, your standard finance kind of metrics that, you know, we look at every, every day. So you're moving over to the cloud, your, your sources of revenue there operate differently than on-premise, uh, solutions. Um, yeah. but, uh, where are you in that migration then? It sounds like you, you, you set the course, you're going to, you realize most of your business will be cloud, but where are you on that journey? Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those where, you know, where, you know, I would say out of nine innings, we're probably at the, you know, bottom of the third. Right. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, we are very well capitalized and, and I think it's one of those we are, you know, we're obviously privately held, um, you know, the, which is great in the sense that we can make, um, we have the, the, the time to be able to make those longer term decisions, right? We don't have to make kind of these short term decisions, you know, when we look five years out, right, the, our ability to have a majority of our business um, under cloud is, is, is kind of what, you know, that's where we see the business. Um, and I, and I, and, it, and it's going to happen. Um, that's where, that's where the market's going. And, and we have a robust, secure cloud-based platform to be able to, uh, you know, provide that to our clients. Ray, you've been a, a finance leader at a variety of mid-sized firms over the past, uh, 20 years, say, and I'm hoping you might step back in time with us and zero in on a, a memorable past, experience with one of those firms where what do you think where would you take us one of the one of the roles um at a company called intermediate partners um and this is this is where i was was a little bit younger um and intermediate was an interesting business in the sense of we would um go and acquire cable television assets we would form a number of different partnerships and each partnership had a different set of stakeholders so you'd have an equity uh, stakeholder, then you'd have debt stakeholders as well too. And, 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 and in that capacity, I was kind of that right hand finance person to the CFO at the time. Uh, and, you know, and I think the, the ability or the, the learning opportunity to kind of go from the inception of forming, you know, and this was specifically intermediate partner six, where we had raised $100 million from a private equity firm, Blackstone, and then ultimately acquiring about a million cable television assets, a million cable television subscribers in the Southeast, um, ultimately going through the process of raising over a billion dollars on the debt side, um, managing a, a bank syndicate of about 50 different, different banks, um, and, you know, the, the, the model there was, you know, again, anytime that there's private equity dollars, right, there's kind of a duration there, you know, whether it's four to six years where you go in and upgrade the ability to provide, you know, at the time it was digital television and, you know, at the time it was at home, um, which was kind of the high speed Internet service as well, too. And so the idea of being able to obviously scale that business and the idea that there would be an exit kind of that four to six year kind of period away. And, and I think just 
the opportunity to kind of go from the start of that process to raising the debt capital to actually doing interest rate swaps on hedging that floating rate debt, um, ultimately to doing um, the sale to, and at the time we ended up selling to uh, Charter Communications, um, and just be able to be part of that entire process from the inception all the way through the sale. You know, as I think about it, it's just kind of a, a finance person's dream of, of being able to be part of something like that. Um, and so when I think back to kind of my career and progression, you know, that, that one had a very big impact on me um, professionally. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, the talent uh, economy out there. Being in the high-tech space, we know that uh, talent is always a challenge. Um, and uh, can you share with us when it comes to uh, the organization's workforce, what role does uh, finance play in that? And have you, uh, you know, sought to come up with ways of uh, helping the, the company manage that talent? Yeah, so you know, as I said in earlier, Jack, we are we're headquartered in in, in Chicago. Um, we've got offices in Sunnyvale, California, um, London, Belfast, and then also Bangalore, right? And and I think it's, um, you know, the the, the model has been, um, you know, from an R and D perspective, kind of follow the sun methodology, right? So it allows us to be more efficient. Um, by having kind of that handoff from certain things that are done in the U.S. and then got handed, you know, get handed off to, to Bangalore. Um, so it allows us to kind of optimize kind of the 24-7 environment. Um, so, you know, that, that's been kind of an important piece to us for us. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we had done as well back in January of this year, uh, we had worked with um, – um, but they're, they're called Invest Northern Ireland, and so they're part of the government that actually helps organizations stand up entities in, um, in Northern Ireland. So I was actually over there last year and kind of working with Invest Northern Ireland to kind of stand up um, an R&D center uh, in Belfast. And so, again, you know, when you think about all of these different geographies, um, you know, there are some, some benefits of, you know, we have sales and marketing individuals in London, um, and that's where they need to be. But from an R&D perspective, there are some kind of cost benefits to be able to stand up an R&D center in, in Belfast. So we, we've tried to be kind of creative of kind of how we, how we handle that, right? And in an environment where, you know, I think in a lot of kind of major cities, at least in the States, um, you know, for, for the right technology talent, um, you know, it becomes how do you how do you um, how do you put together a, you know whether it's a compensation package, it's a culture, and all of those things um, that that allow you to attract the right the right talent. And and I and I do think that you know the story around us coming out of HP and being a management owned company, right? I think that does resonate resonate with people. Um, so we we've definitely had some some success, and I think it's one of those where. You know, I think in the in the in the world of recruiting, you know, it's it's there's always, um, you know, you have to do a lot of different things. But I think ultimately, it's you know, who do you know in your personal network? And you know, we obviously, um, you know, very active about trying to have the you know have the employees get involved in, in recruiting and in bringing in their friends. Um, you know, that's just always a, a you know a better a better scenario for success. Ray, we now come to the mentoring round, where we always kick off by asking, 
What is it about finance and business today? What is it that's exciting you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, as I think about it, it's, you know, everything ultimately kind of rolls back up to the numbers, right? And I, and I think it's, um, you know, it's about, you know, I get excited about kind of setting these, you know, these goals and objectives, right? Whether they're near term or long term, and maybe they're way too aggressive. But I think it's the, the idea of being able to set something out in the future, getting everybody around the table to kind of nod and believe in that. And then you as a team, go and execute it. Um, you know, th- those are the things, you know, yes, I'm the CFO. Um, and yes, I have a team of individuals, but 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 ultimately, it's all about us as um, you know, one team trying to succeed on a, on a goal. And, and I think that that, you know, um, you know, one of the things that I really like too is, you know, in all of our um, locations today, nobody has any private offices. Um, you know, it is an all open environment, whether it's myself or the CEO, et cetera, everybody sits in kind of a open workstation. And I think it just, it removes this kind of feeling of hierarchy. And, and, and I think it's more kind of collaborative in nature. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that's also kind of a, a cool thing about iManage. You've mentioned your CEO a number of times, Paul Arruja, of course, who was one of the founders and uh, went through a, a number of transactions uh, to uh, once again become CEO of this uh, mid-market firm today, and it's a global firm today. Uh, but as you were weighing uh, the decision to uh, take the position, uh, what went through your mind as far as how uh, you and Neil would have, uh, you know, a working relationship? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, when you think about the CEO, CFO, kind of, you know, I'd say there needs to be that chemistry, right? So that ability to kind of connect. And, you know, I try to stay, in my mind, I try to stay a step ahead of, of Neil, of kind of preempting what he's potentially thinking. So I'm already on top of it, right? And, and that's, that's kind of how I operate. But again, I've worked with kind of a number of, um, you know, I've partnered with a number of CEOs over the years, right? And I think it kind of does boil down to that to that ability to kind of fit and connect with that individual, right? Yeah, it's about the the business and the other pieces of the team, but you know, obviously, I have a I have a ton of interaction with 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 Neil, and you know, you can pretty much tell right away whether there's kind of that right connection or not. And and um, you know, Neil's just a a, a good guy, and um, you know, very demanding, but, but a good, but a good guy nonetheless. And so you, you, you know, you want to do well by him and you want to work harder to, to succeed. Um, so I've, I've worked with other CEOs that motivate by fear. Um, this is, this is not, this is not Neil, right? Over, over time, the fear piece, um, wears off and, and people leave the organization. Um, but, um, this is, this is a good fit. Is there a personal habit that you believe, uh, has contributed to your your success, your professional success. Yeah, I, I think you know, I, I think being intellectually curious, right? I, I think that um, you know, even as I stepped into this role, right, there was these the dialogue of, okay, what did we do at HP and what did we do at interwoven and what did we do at autonomy? Right. And I think it's ultimately trying to get that perspective of what was done previously. Um, but then allowed me to kind of with the team, make some decisions to say, okay, this worked well, this didn't work well. And I think it's, 
kind of always assuming that any process or anything that we're doing can't be improved upon. Um, and I think it's always kind of um, the idea that we're just doing it because we've always done it is probably the worst thing that you can ever say to me. I think it's everything is up for review. Everything could potentially be improved. Um, and I think those are the things are always asking questions or this doesn't feel right and leaning in more and you do. And then all of a sudden you get another kind of data point and then you come up with some change that says, all right, this, you know, um, this needs to, this needs to happen. So I think it's that kind of core philosophy that is kind of permeated through my career. That's, that's, that's definitely helped. So we like to ask you, uh, what are you reading lately? Is there a book uh, you'd recommend to finance leaders? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, one of the books that we, um, so every year we, we, um, go on a, a, our leadership team retreat. So it's about 20 plus of us that go away for kind of two to three days to talk about um, kind of what we're going to do for the next year. Right. And, you know, one of them was um, um, uh, a book um, that we had talked about as a, as a team is it's called up the mood elevator. Um, and I'm trying to remember um, the author's name is Larry Sen S E N N. Um, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a odd title, but I think generally there's kind of this, um, there, there's this elevator that says, you know, on, on, on one side of it, kind of, what is your, what is your mood? And one's the lower end of that spectrum is depressed. And then the, the, the top part of that spectrum is, is grateful. And, and, and ultimately kind of what the book indicates, and this is very, very high level is there's a lot of different kind of. Um, parts in between those, right? So um, hopeful, patient, flexible, adaptive, um, but really the, the area where they say to focus on is kind of goes back to my last point of curious and interested. And, it, and it's ultimately, it's that place in kind of your mindset of where you could be most effective, right? I mean, I think a lot of times emotions get into the world of business. And I think ultimately to be able to remove those emotions and just try to maintain this kind of curious and interested um, kind of perspective is, is, is really where the benefit is. So kind of, kind of a, um, a unique way of thinking, but it, it, it definitely resonated with me. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay. Okay, our final question then. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, so, you know, we, we touched a little bit about it. I, I think, you know, we are we are close to getting our 2017 kind of budgets uh, finalized. So that's going to be kind of critical over the next couple of weeks. 
Um, you know, as I indicated as well, too, I think that there's certain processes um, that we use today that, that need to be changed. And again, I think that there's, you know, um, similar to the technology that we deliver, right, that this this technology evolution is continuing to um, to speed up. And I think ultimately we want to be able to make sure that we're using best practices from, you know, from how do we take, you know, configuring orders and everybody using kind of that consistent methodology. So there's some process stuff that I think is going to be very important for the finance team um, next year. And then I think I, I also touched a, a bit too on um, what are those things that we're looking to do on the inorganic side? And, and that's where we're, um, we're still kind of flushing out exactly where we want to play and what our, what our strategy is there. But, but I think it's, um, you know, those are really the, the, the core functions that I kind of think about of what, what needs to happen um, for 2017. Ray Shiphawk, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jack. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.